Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Hebrews, the first 11 verses. I read from the CEV. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard, who heard it in faith. For we who have believed entered the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received it, the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this, speaking through David, after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help today as we try to lean into a space that is a challenge for us. And so I pray for a softness in our hearts and openness of our minds and the conviction of the Spirit. Father, I ask for our defenses to be down in terms of where it is that you want to speak to us. And Father, I thank you that even though this is a challenging space for some of us, that we know that your grace meets us there. And so I ask that you would be present in that with us today. In your name we pray, amen. So Sabbath is a concept that some of us are probably very familiar with, um, some of us maybe have no context for this at all. It probably really depends upon your church background growing up and what, how it was talked about in that space. But regardless of whether you are familiar with it or not, this Sabbath, this day of rest, is in essence what our work week in our culture was structured around. Sabbath also has created throughout our nation's history over time, what is, are called blue laws. So throughout history, there have been different laws about what you could or could not do, specifically on Sundays. Over time, blue laws in the states have outlawed lying, swearing, playing cards, dice, shuffleboard, watching plays or movies, selling cigarettes, and just doing certain kinds of business on Sundays. Penalties for breaking these blue laws included whipping, being put in the stocks, having parts of the body burned or cut off, and sometimes even the death penalty. We do still have some blue laws, oftentimes um, around when 
uh, package stores when alcohol can be sold on Sundays. Also, a lot of states still have laws about car dealerships in terms of what hours they're allowed to be open on a Sunday. And some states still have restrictions about hunting hours. So there's something in the past regarding what kind of work, what kind of leisure is allowed on a Sunday that has been built into our legislation over time. This idea of Sunday as uh, like rest, I mean, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday still. Um, Kanye has a new song on his album that's called Closed on Sunday, where he talks about that. So there's a frame for what this is in our culture. In my growing up, Sunday, we called it the Lord's Day, the day of rest. But like many of you in here, I know you understand this, that when you are in a pastor's home, uh, Sunday's the most exhausting day of your week. And so I grew up often feeling like the day of rest was for other people. And for some of us, the lot falls to create that for them. Sabbath at times has been an annoying concept for me sometimes thrown in my face by well-meaning people when I'm wiped out. I don't know if you've ever had a bit of that condescending, well, God rested on that seventh day. Regardless of what this word has meant for you, we need to kind of pull back. We need to pull back and look at what God intended for it to be, because this is a space where we can very clearly see some of our idolatry related to work, success, control, identity, achievement, and self through your inability and unwillingness to prioritize Sabbath and rest. So last week, Pastor Daryl preached about how work is worship, and kind of the counterpoint to that is us looking at how also is rest supposed to be worship? Not resting is a form of pride. It's a badge of honor that we can wear, making us feel self-important and maybe more essential to God and others. But also resting in the wrong way and catering to your indulgences is a form of pride. So not resting and resting selfishly are both ways that we can abuse Sabbath because of our idolatry. And we fight against this by pulling back and looking at what is Sabbath actually supposed to be and how can we pursue that rightly. So the two foundational passages for Sabbath are Genesis 2, 2 and 3, and Exodus 28 through 11. So I'm going to read through those for us first. In Exodus 2, it says, On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work in creation. Exodus 28 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. 
Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. This is the word of the Lord. So these are actually pretty weighty texts, but I think we often treat them as if they are mere suggestions from God of something for us to do if it's convenient. But here we have them embedded within the creation covenant and the Ten Commandments. God in Genesis, after doing the good work of creation, stops and rests. So resting is just as much a part of the creation mandate as working is. And this isn't a flippant, hey, God rested, you should do it too. This is something that is deemed holy and blessed by the creator and sustainer himself. This word for blessed is barak, which is tied in with this idea of adoration. I love this because I don't know if you guys remember when we talked about Genesis, way like Genesis 1 and 2, way back in January, we talked about how the word good that God uses to talk about his creation is not just this word of approval, but it is a word of pleasure and delight. So, so also here, a word that God is using for this resting on the seventh day is a word that also has like a personal posture and attachment that God is giving it. He's not just deeming this as a good idea, there's something that God is adoring and delighting in, in him instituting this day. God also calls this day holy in Genesis and Exodus. And the word holy there is kadash in the Hebrew. This word is tied in with this idea of consecration and being sanctified. And the form of it in the Exodus passage is most specifically used to talk about a woman who is set aside and betrothed to be married. So there is this intimate relational peace in terms of God's posture toward this day. Couple that with the fact that in a lot of ancient Jewish writings, they refer to the Sabbath as a queen or a bride. Not as a personification of that day, but more so to demonstrate God's posture toward it. There is something divine, beautiful, intimate, in terms of what this day holds in his eyes. There is something very relational about God's posture towards the Sabbath. So God calling it blessed and holy, those aren't just attributes he's placing on something inanimate. Rather, they are relational words between him and his image bearers. He's attaching the Sabbath to himself and to us. Also in the Exodus word, we have the actual word Sabbath, which means literally to cease and to stop. In Exodus, we have that pattern, six days to work, seven to rest, and we have this idea of provision and protection. Because who all in Exodus is supposed to observe the Sabbath? you, your children, your servants, the alien, the immigrant within your gates. So you also have this idea that if you are someone with power and privilege, part of the way that you observe Sabbath is by ensuring that anyone else you may have that over 
has to observe it as well. Sabbath is meant to be a gift to all people in a way that God is able to protect us because he knows full well we're going to exploit. In Jewish tradition, Sabbath is not time you take off. Sabbath is more so thought of as space that you enter into. So six days you are under the tyranny of work, but on one day you have this space where you re-enter into connection with eternity and God. God knows that in order for us to enter that space, in our finiteness, we have to stop. We have to cut the noise. We have to cut out the clutter and the busyness. This also helps us remember that the world was created without us and it will survive without us as well. So in other words, this also helps us remember it doesn't actually revolve around us. Rabbi and Jewish theologian and philosopher, Abraham Joshua Heschel, quote him a few times because he's gold. He wrote, the world has our hands but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week, we seek to dominate the world. And on the seventh day, we try to dominate ourselves. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. So the Sabbath is about God and image bearers reconnecting in this eternal relational space while we are still operating in this temporary and toilsome space. So it's a part of the creation covenant, it's part of the Ten Commandments, and yet I think we often treat it as if it is optional or maybe for some of us beneath what we need. After all, I'm pretty needed or I'm pretty strong, very busy. There's so much more on my plate compared to other people. As if you are unique or special in that struggle. Say that to God who calls it holy and blessed and creates it for you as what is best for you. When you idolize yourself through the frame of productivity, being needed, keeping busy, juggling all the things, you are functioning like the world revolves around you while you're kind of giving God the middle finger about the Sabbath. So we need more understanding about what this Sabbath is supposed to be in order to help us identify where our idolatry is blocking us. Where is it getting in the way from us embracing what is good and holy here? So let's move into Hebrews 4. Hebrews was written between 60 and 70, specifically to Jewish Christians living in Palestine and Jerusalem. They are facing incredible persecution, and the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage them to stay strong and unwavering in the fight. We don't know who the author is, but whoever the author was, they're speaking directly to the struggles of Jewish Christians, both with empire, but also as they're trying to figure out how to navigate with the Jewish community in terms of their newfound faith which is why in Hebrews we get this great language specifically about the Sabbath and what is that now for those of us in Christ. Verses one through three say, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. 
For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. So the author starts by assuring the Jewish Christians that God has also promised faith or promised rest for them in their newfound faith. They aren't cut off from this. Salvation is this gateway to be able to enter into God's rest with him. The good news here is not referring to the gospel. In this specific context, the good news is referring back to this idea of God's rest. Being able to enter God's rest, it says it's for their benefit. It is for their good. Being able to enter into God's rest is not a chore or a burden. So if you're feeling a little stressed out, they have to figure out another thing to figure out how to even make this work. Lean into that, because you got some idolatry there. This is for your benefit, your good. It's not a chore, it's not a burden. There's also a warning here, because we see that you can miss out on God's rest. For the Israelites in the wilderness, which this is kind of nodding back to, this idea of rest wasn't this existential idea but it was in fact the marker to the end of their wandering. It was a settledness, a place of peace, and an establishment of their identity. But they lacked faith, they fell short, and therefore they missed out on this whole idea of fully resting in God. So entering into Sabbath requires faith, which is where they wavered. The Greek word for faith here specifically is referring to believing in God's promises. Entering into Sabbath space is an issue of you believing that what God has said is true. You being able to trust that. You being able to cease and stop or you not being able to cease and stop is a faith issue. Your resolve to identify your idols and replace them with Sabbath is an act of faith. What is hindering your ability to embrace Shabbat, real Sabbath, is your lack of faith, that God will not satisfy, fulfill, or provide for you the way that your idols currently are. And we see here also that those who do not fully trust in God's promises and act in that faith, therefore miss out on the benefits of it. Instead, you are left with frustration, fatigue, and empty striving with your idols when God is offering this space to enter into of rest and wholeness. Verse 4 says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all his works. I love how it says somewhere here. I mean, it's just because they don't have the canon, but I love picturing this like person who's like writing all this amazing stuff being like, I feel like somewhere it says that God did this. But here we have the author connecting back to, connecting this God's rest back to Sabbath, back to what God did at creation. Ancient rabbis 
thought that there was, in a way, still an act of creation happening on the seventh day. They believed it was this idea of um, manuha, like that's what was created on the seventh day. We often translate it as rest, but this is not a word of stopping, but rather it is this word of fulfillment. So what did they think was still missing from the universe that God brought into this space on day seven? Peace, harmony, tranquility, and serenity. That's manuha. It is the wicked ceasing from causing trouble. It is the weary being at rest. It is no fear, no pain, no distrust, no struggle. It eventually becomes a synonym for the life to come, eternal life. That is Sabbath. That is what God creates in a way and brings into this temporary space we are in when he rests on day seven. It's this beautiful complexity that he calls into being in the simple words, and on the seventh day, God rested. Verse five and six say again in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Stopping mid-sentence there. All right, this obviously isn't Genesis, but it is actually Psalm 95. And the meaning of Psalm 95 directly ties back into this idea of why some people are missing out on the rest. So I'm going to read Psalm 95, um, just verses 6 through 11, and kind of trace the progression here. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. This is essentially a case study of disobedience in pursuit of finding security and value in other things. And the consequence is you can't enter into God's rest. Israel's lack of faith in their idolatry were incompatible with God's rest. Our lack of faith and our idolatry are incompatible with God's rest. Just like the Israelites, we harden our hearts, we test him, and we give the place of honor to the idols in our life. And that leads to us missing out on Sabbath. Our idolatry related to indulgent self-care or defining ourselves through what we accomplish we can't cling to and rest on those things and cling to and rest on God at the same time. One will always win out. But God's mercy to us is that in spite of our disobedience and our idolatry, he offers us grace and invites us in. So where the Israelites were disobedient and miss out on the fulfillment, 
Here we have the invitation offered again. Verse 7 says, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. This is God's grace, reminder of fresh invitation to those of us in Christ. Because of grace, you can secure his rest. Only because of his grace, you can secure his rest. So engaging in Sabbath is us in this space, accepting that invitation to somehow meet him in eternity here at the same time. Sabbath is for the sake of your soul. It's not just a storing up of energy for the week to come. This is literally for the life of your soul. Verses 9 through 11 say, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. The Sabbath word here in the Greek, sabbatismos, which is a celebratory word. So what God offers is not just a diversion from work, a cessation from work, but Sabbath is supposed to be this celebratory mending, this weekly rhythm where we celebratory mend what is tattered in our lives by connecting us back to what is permanent. This is supposed to be a celebratory time where we think upon the space we will be one day where there is no work, no struggle in work, no pain, no toil, no weariness. Sabbath is joyful space in our weekly rhythm. But when we idolize work and success and achievement, when we humble brag about how busy we are, when we fill our schedules to the max, when we complain about how there aren't enough hours in the day, how is it then can, we can even see through to how Sabbath is supposed to be joy and celebration? So unraveling this, it takes effort. Abraham Heschel also said, labor is a craft, but perfect rest is an art. To attain a degree of excellence in art, one must accept discipline. So we cannot be passive or reactionary in our pursuit of Sabbath. We have to be actively trying to figure it out. And this is where community is meant to be helpful because the people closest to you are probably going to see where your idols are in this area a lot better than you. So if someone presses you and you have a visceral response, I would say go there first because it's very likely one of your idols are there. In community, we are here to remind each other that when we resist rest and Sabbath, we are in effect functioning as if everything rides on us. So verse 11, let us make every effort. Let us make every effort is an exhortation for those of us in Christ 
to work out our salvation in this way with the God who wants us and is constantly extending grace in this space. And for those of us in Christ, we are making effort towards connection to eternity. One Jewish theologian said, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. Ouch. (laughs) Our physical world in space is really important. We talk about this all the time here. The way we engage this here has weighty spiritual, eternal implications. But also, this world is temporary in that it will be made new, and we're only in these bodies for a little bit. Which means that while we are here in this, we have to be drawing from what is eternal so that what we do in what is temporary matters for eternity. And we do that by resting in God as worship because it reminds us where our strength and meaning comes from and also what the aim of our labor is supposed to be. So if Sabbath is commanded, and that means engaging in this manuha level rest is to connect us to and help us rehearse for eternity. How do you, with what your life is like right now, identify and make war on your idols and figure out how to replace that with true Sabbath rest? This requires honest searching work, maybe painful work, in your heart and a lot of discipline. If you're passive, your idols will just continue ruling over you. That will never change. What engaging in Sabbath looks like for you may be different than other people. Because we are no longer under the law, we don't have like this hard line list of rules in terms of what this looks like to follow which is a good thing, but that's also the bad thing. We like this idea of freedom, but we like don't know what to do if things aren't black and white. So this is where, for those of us in Christ, we have the spirit, we have the word, we have each other, and we also have these brains, these minds that are being transformed and renewed. So with the help of those things you need to consider, are you too busy? Do you need achievement? Do you need to be needed? Do you need activity constantly? What rises up in you when people talk about resting? What excuses are you coming up with, maybe right now? When someone talks about the day that they get to take off, do you kind of do the patronizing, um, boy, that must be nice? Are you trying to prove something to others by never stopping? Are you trying to prove something to yourself by never stopping? Are you afraid of stopping because that means you're then going to have to deal with your issues? Are you using busyness as a way to not engage in hard work that God wants you to do? Where are you idolizing yourself through the lens of pride, self-sufficiency, being capable, being strong, fancying yourself as being the most dependent upon? Are you always resistant when people are trying to help you? Resisting help is a huge ego that we kind of mask behind humility. 
Or in another way, is this kind of discouraging, this conversation? Because you truly cannot see through to how this is a possibility for you in your life. We all have a lot, right? Life is overwhelming. We love to kind of compare and judge. But if this is kind of your block here, I would encourage you to think about what do you actually do when you have the space to take a break? I think often in these spaces, we incorporate only escapism-type leisure, where we should be replacing it with something that's nourishing our soul. Do you rest, but never really in a way that is connecting you back to God? Now listen, I like a good binge watch, okay? I have a brain that like races all the time. And so sometimes I have to start there to just bring myself down. But that's to numb, to escape, and to stop the brain. Should not be done all the time because that will wear on your spirit and mind in a different way. So this is where I think that the concept of self-care can get murky. Now, not meaning to, nor attempting, to throw the concept of self-care completely under the bus. But the concern is where it is sometimes used as an excuse, maybe, to neglect being present or doing heart work. If you need to be mindful of self-care and that term is helpful for you, the question is, does your mode of self-care help to achieve true Sabbath where your weary soul is needing connection back to God in eternity. It's just a different term, but it's always more helpful for me to think of it in terms of soul care, as I try to seek to be conscious of space and rest. If I think self-care, I'm binge-watching The Office for the umpteenth time with another glass of wine, but that's not how I'm doing soul care. Soul care looks really different from that. It's this really this seeking of connection to God. So you need to ask questions, you need to make every effort, and honestly, you probably have to try some things because figuring this out for you can require some experimenting. It has a lot to do with knowing yourself, but also understanding God. What for you creates the right atmosphere to enter into this true space of God's rest? What cuts the noise, the frenzy, and the clutter what cuts out the demands that are pressing in on you? There is this term called sensucht, and it's this German word, and it means like a longing or a yearning. Some psychologists use it to explain this feeling that you sometimes get where you're like longing for a completeness in what is incomplete, but you can't always identify what that is. So C.S. Lewis took this word and used it to kind of name this feeling he would get if he was like outside and everything's like beautiful and all of a sudden he would have this wave where he would think of God, but he felt like homesick, but he couldn't identify what he felt homesick for. Almost like this sadness, but you want to sit in it because it's beautiful at the same time. He would also get this feeling, you know, reading a story. You hit a point in a story where all of a sudden it feels like you're carried up to a different place. Homesick for something you can't point to. So he connected that to this idea of sensucked, 
where there's this part of our soul that is just longing for eternity, and there are glimpses of it that we get while we are in this space. So I had a professor that made us write a whole paper on where we could identify this wave of sensucked throughout our life and kind of identify like what factors make that happen. Am I the only one that ever has felt this? You know, I think like stories do it, movies, books, music is a big one. And if you're ever listening to a song and it's like all of a sudden it like pushes you through to something else and you feel sad, but it's like a good sad, Nature, nature's a big one that does this, but it's kind of this idea of we are here, but we are more than here, right? Our souls are also in a different plane. Okay, tell me if I'm like getting to, okay. So I think there's like this, there's these spaces where it's almost like we're crossing over sometimes. And so I think it can be helpful, like if, if that's something that you, you've felt before, that that's touched you, what brings that to you? Because I think that's a pushing through to eternity. That's like a glimpse of like what Sabbath is supposed to be, what that space should look like. So it's not just what helps me relax. It's what captures your soul. What carries you to what is beyond? What cuts through all of this to the spiritual for you? My perfect space, okay? I'm alone, love being alone. I'm outside, preferably in the middle of the woods. I need to be moving. I'm probably running. I'm not listening to anything because I need silence. Some of you outside is not going to be the place you want to be. Looking right at you. (laughs) Moving is a chore. Running is a chore. Silence is deafening. So that's not your thing. You got to figure it out. Does that make sense? What things help create that and carry you to God? Do you need solitude? Do you need people? Do you need quiet? Do you need noise? Do you need stillness? Do you need movement? Do you need schedule? Do you need no schedule? Do you need tasks? Do you need none? Do you need to turn off your phone? Do you need to connect with people more? Where does God meet you? What carries you from what is burdensome to this place of peace and celebration and hope? Also, what works for you in your current rhythm and in your family life. Parents, how you model this for your children and start showing them this matters really deeply. They're watching you, listening to you, mimicking you. And you can imagine like how spiritually healthy for them if they see this modeled well, especially with just screens and what they're doing to like our brains and our world, how like vital for them over time how you model this for your kids can have really positive spiritual implications. First, you have to discipline yourself. You have to prioritize it and make it this life-giving rhythm for you. Quick side note, per the wise and loving counsel of Kim, who's not here today, okay, I was going to blame this all on her. Um, You know, Kim was our intern for about a year, so she saw heavily behind the curtain, um, was really involved working with us as staff, and she encouraged me to go here. But, you know, we occasionally will put out in the e-news and the announcements just reminders that Pastor Daryl takes Monday off and I take Friday off. 
We try to remind everyone of this regularly because we only attempt to take one day a week, but often our time is still taken over. We're small, we're close, we're well-known, which is a good thing. It's great, we love that. But sometimes that closeness, you know, you feel like we're friends, so it doesn't, you know, it's fine if I kind of cut through on your day. With all the love, <laughs> you are our work first. And the fact that you are our work, if that makes you feel a kind of way, that's a good thing. But you are our work first. So even if it seems light, every text and call really does pull us out of that attempt to rest. Because I'm telling you, I'll speak for both of us, our minds just start going like that fast from one thing to the next. In this work, it is a battle to push aside what is on our hearts and minds, 24 hours a day, six days a week, to suddenly try to stop that. I spend most of my Friday just trying to stop that. Especially because we love you and we care and the needs are pressing in. And, you know, we like want to be building this up and we enjoy the work to a degree, right? So that's why it's so hard. We have to work hard to get into the resting space. So having our family in our community help protect that space helps us. And not having that space protected keeps us from Sabbathing. So this isn't just about us, but anywhere you may be at a church in the future for whoever your leadership is, one of the most loving gifts that you can give to us in this work is honoring our Sabbath on our behalf so that we can honor it ourselves. Amen. We need the space to come up for air, to seek God's presence, to have silence, to get perspective. Being in this work doesn't mean we're on a different spiritual plane where we don't have to tap into that, where we don't dry up. We desperately need the space if we're going to be able to do this longer haul. So honoring that space is vital for our health, our spirits, and ultimately our church community. Okay? Side note done. But for all of us, what our Sabbathing looks like will need to be reevaluated probably off and on throughout our lives. When employment changes, if you move, when your kids are in different ages and stages, all sorts of things can affect maybe what this is going to look like. Some of us have rhythms right now where we probably could take two full days. More power to you, that is awesome. But some of us, we maybe just need to try to find an evening a week right now where we're gonna set that aside and prioritize this. But you have to make a choice to start somewhere because it's not coming for you. You have to go for it. And with this goal of I'm gonna start here and I'm gonna build up. Habits require discipline. And this is the same thing. So where do you need to have faith and trust God so that you can cease and stop? Where are there spaces where even though you feel like you are working so hard, people are still coming to you as if you're not doing enough? There's where you need to remember to lean into God's grace when other people don't have that for you. Where are you actually creating some of the stress in your life by not surrendering to God's best to take time to rest?
Bethany and I were talking about this recently, and she drew my mind to the uh, passage about the manna in the wilderness. And, you know, they, they're in the wilderness, they're wandering, and God says, I'm going to provide food for you in the morning, and you gather enough for that day. But when it's the day before the Sabbath, you can gather enough for two days. So, of course, the first morning, a bunch of people gather enough for two days, even though they're not supposed to most of us would have done that as well. There is this mistrust of God's provision and sufficiency there. So the next day, what they had stored up is turned to rot. However, when they store up enough for two days, and that next day is the Sabbath, it is good to eat. God's provision and sufficiency for that day that is supposed to be Sabbath rest, it's there. It meets them there. So not having faith in God's provision and sufficiency, it is going to rot and decay your soul. But to choose to trust God in order for you to take space to stop and to reconnect is to choose nourishment over rot. It is to choose connection over emptiness, and it is ultimately to choose life over death. So how can you make every effort? to engage in Sabbath rhythm for the sake of your soul. God in his grace is offering new opportunity today, inviting you to enter into that space. In closing, there's a Jewish legend that I'm gonna read. It says, at the time when God was giving the Torah to Israel, he said to them, my children, If you accept the Torah and observe my commandments, I will give you for all eternity a thing that is most precious in my possession. And what, asked Israel, is that precious thing that you will give us if we obey your Torah? The world to come, God replied. Israel said, show us in this world an example of the world to come. And God replied, the the Sabbath is an example of the world to come. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. All of our life is supposed to be a pilgrimage to that seventh day. For the Sabbath is our counterpoint of living. It is the melody sustained through all agitations. It is our awareness of God's presence in this world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good and gracious design in creating Sabbath space for us. And so I ask, Father, for your spirit to work to show us where do we need to be making war on our own idols in order to create that space, to be able to enter into that space with you. Father, give us the desire to meet you in that. And Father, I pray that we would view this space that you give us as something that is truly celebratory, something that is good for us. Father, where we have lack of desire for you and for this, I pray that your spirit would would meet us in that. Give us a desire and a longing to actually be in this with you. Thank you for your grace to us and how we have so much failed here. 
thank you that um, you continually love us even in that. And so, Father, we ask for your help. Father, we believe and we trust you, but help us where we are lacking belief. In your holy name we pray. Amen.